Good job, guys. Some of you may not know this. In fact, I, I met some new people earlier who definitely do not know this. But I am known to ruthlessly make fun of Ronnie for the size of his shirts, right? Like just constantly mock him for the size of his shirts. But I do want to get ahead of something here. As I was getting ready this morning, I did realize that my pants could have been painted on. <laughs> and I'm, I'm fine with that. I chose to wear them anyway because you know what? You're not the boss of me. I'll wear whatever I want, right? Here we have, we, we do have something in common. We all, we all kind of have this. It's, it's the same for you as it is for me. Nobody likes being told what to do. If you're a parent in the room, you discovered this super early on with your kids. In fact, it would look something like, hey, I'm not trying to ruin, I'm not trying to ruin your life. I just want you to brush your teeth, right? Like, we discovered that early on. But this isn't a kid issue. It's not a kid issue at all. In fact, this is a human issue, you see, I wear my seatbelt because I want to be safe, but I really don't like being told I have to. I don't like some government agency telling me I have to. Uh, a lot of people who ride motorcycles, they wear their helmets, but they don't like being told they have to. I buy my kids food, but I don't like being told I have to. <laughs> and we don't like it, even though in most cases, we're, we're all well aware of this, in most cases, what we're being told to do is for us. It's for our good. It's for our safety. It's not like there's some public official sitting on the side of the road getting joy out of the fact that everybody has seatbelts on as they drive by. So we know that it's for our good, but we still hate it. We still hate being told what to do. So why is that? What are we ultimately hoping for? What's our, what's our actual goal? I think our actual goal is autonomy. It's, it's probably not the word you thought of. In fact, it wasn't the first word I thought of. But really, if you break it down, that's really what the American dream is. Autonomy is being able to do what you want to do when you want to do it with enough money to pay for it and keep you out of trouble if you get caught. Right? Pastor Ronnie says this all the time. He tells his kids this, and I've heard him say it about himself, that they can drive as fast as they can afford to drive. Right? Like, you can drive as fast as you want to as long as you can pay for it if you get caught. This is true for all of us. It's true for you and it's true for me that, that someday, at some point in our lives, we want to be in a position or a place in our lives where nobody is telling us what to do. It's, it's an alluring goal for all of us because we're convinced, you're convinced, and I'm convinced that, that once I can call all the, all the shots, all my own shots, I'm going to call all the right shots. This is what we think. This is why we're so baffled by. You're baffled by it. I'm constantly baffled by people who have extraordinary autonomy, and then they blow it. I mean, they've kind of made it. They've got all the money you could ever want. They've got the margin. They've got the house. They've got the car. They've got the stuff, and then they blow it. And I recently watched a documentary on a football player named Aaron Hernandez. You might remember him. He had all of it. He had all the money. He just signed this $30 million contract. He had the house. He had the cars. He had the stuff. 
And then he made decisions in his life that cost him his entire life. In fact, it eventually cost him his life. And that's just one example that I thought of. You, could, you can think of more, I'm sure, where, where you're constantly left wondering, why did you do that? <laughs> you made it. Why would you give up what so many people will never be able to achieve? Then once you kind of get over that thought, and then once we also kind of get over that really gross thought inside of us where we're all like, yes. <laughs> where the people who have everything that you really want to have, but then they lose it. There's something inside of you. Mm. We'll talk about that in a few weeks. But once we get past that, you're left going like, <laughs> not me. Not me. That wouldn't happen to me because I'd call all the right shots. <laughs> I mean, if I drew that lottery number last week, then I'd, well, first off, I'd give half of it away. Of course, I would. <laughs> I'd save a quarter of what's left, and then I'd spend the rest. I mean, I'd buy a nice house down the street, and I'd drive like a Subaru or something, right? That's what I'd do because I'd work super hard to protect what I was working for, to protect my autonomy. Maybe that's true. Maybe that's true for you, but, but for that to be true for you, there's something that you must do. So to kind of get us started, as we jump into this series, I, I found this little poem that I think will be helpful for us. Kind of give us a, a direction, kind of help us know where we're headed over the, over the coming weeks. And this, it doesn't matter if you're a follower of Jesus or if you're not a follower of Jesus. This is just a people thing. We're going to certainly talk about what Jesus has to say about this thing because Jesus speaks directly to this idea. But this is something we all deal with. Like You don't have to be a follower of Jesus to experience this, to wrestle with this, to to be confronted by this. And so I think at some point in all of our lives, we're going to run into this issue at one time or another. And so here's the poem. Here's the poem as it relates to not having anybody tell you what to do. Our need for supervision, and supervision simply meaning somebody telling you what to do, may someday come to an end if we silence the toxic voices that come from within. Thank you. Here's the negative version of that, just to to show you the negative side. Our need for supervision will never come to an end until we silence the toxic voices that come from within. Because the truth is, we don't get into trouble. We don't, we don't find ourselves in circumstances where we're in trouble because we wouldn't take advice. Now, we get into trouble because we take our own advice. And our own advice always. There is no way around this, that our own advice is always filtered through the emotions that distort reality for us. This is why we often look at other people and we're like, you did what? And then sometimes we look at ourselves in the mirror and we say, I, I did what? What was I thinking? What, what was going on? Why did that happen to me? And so thus, kind of our subtitle for our series, You're Not the Boss of Me, here's our subtitle. How to say no, this is a how-to series for us, how to say no to the emotions that compete for control. Now I want you to think for just a moment, it, it won't take you long and then we can move on. And, and trust me, do not answer this for the person sitting next to you if you want to enjoy lunch later. But what is the primary emotion? What is the primary emotion that competes for control of your life? I'll tell you mine at some point in the series if I feel like it. But all of us, all of us have sort of a primary thing, a primary thing that services pretty quickly for us, and it competes for control and often wins control of what we say, 
what we don't say, how we say it, how loudly we say it, in what tone we say it, and who we say it to. And it also competes for control in terms of how we act. It, it, it competes for control of what drives our behavior. You see, we've all learned to monitor our behavior pretty well. In fact, most of you have sat really quietly for this first 10 minutes, pretending like you're listening and you're doing a great job, really. But we've learned to monitor our behavior so that we can get job interviews. And then we've learned to monitor our behavior in that job interview so we can get the job. And then later so, so we can keep the job. And we monitor our behavior so we can get a date. And then we monitor it so we can get a second date and a third date. And we monitor our behavior so we can get married and definitely monitor it so we can stay married. But, but Jesus, and this is why I think you should consider becoming a follower of Jesus. Even, even if you don't quite understand or know if you believe everything about what the Bible says, Jesus invites us. He invited his first century followers and he invites us to begin taking monitoring to a whole other level. To look past simply monitoring how we behave and begin to monitor what's actually going on on the inside of us. In fact, his suggestion, and if you already are a follower of Jesus, just let me, let me tell you this is much more of a command for you, but his suggestion, his command is so profound. It is profoundly shaped my life. This is why I'm so stinking excited about this series. In fact, Ronnie called me on Monday to give me an out. I, I, I had lost a staff member a while back, and so I've been doing that job as well. I've got a lot on my plate, and Ronnie called me and he said, hey, are you sure you don't want me to preach this series? And I'm like, dude, don't steal the only thing that brings me joy. <laughs> Plus, they've had to listen to you for like three weeks, and I'm sure they're ready for a break. So, <laughs> but, but this command this way of thinking, this concept, this principle that I'm going to inter introduce to you a little bit later today has so profoundly shaped my life. It's, it's shaped the way I function and, and manage my marriage. It's shaped the way I manage relationships with other people. It, it has changed how I parent my children. It, it has completely transformed the way I lead people. In fact, I'm, I'm actually pretty well known for being able to handle conflict and tough conversations really well. But if that's true at all... It's because of this principle. And the thing is that we're going to learn and discover together. If what Jesus says to be true, and let me just tell you, I believe the guy rose from the dead. So whatever he has to say is pretty high on my list. But if whatever Jesus has to say is true, then maybe we all have some work that we all need to do. Because even though this principle has greatly impacted my life, and I still have toxic voices inside of me. And they're loud. And they want to take control. I have voices that want to control and affect and ruin my relationships. I have voices that want to take control of how I communicate with those that I love. And if I'm not careful, I'll latch on to them and I'll let those emotions take control. And then I always, I always, I always have regrets on the other side and so do you. But thanks to this insight, thanks to this principle that we're going to discover together how much easier it can be to identify that bad advice that comes from within us and see change in our lives. So here's how the adventure begins that we're going to jump into in just a bit. Jesus is with his boys, right? He's with his dudes. And if, if you don't know this, Jesus actually had a giant, giant crowd of people, probably 120 plus people that followed him everywhere. It was probably the same group of people. But he had taken 12 people, pulled them out of that group, and made them his inner circle. He chose them. And Matthew, 
the disciple, the apostle Matthew, he was one of these chosen. And if, if you haven't been around the church long, you, you may not know, Matthew didn't have a very glamorous beginning to his relationship with Jesus. In fact, Matthew was a tax collector, and he was hated by his people. And if you don't know why, a tax collector back then, it's super quick, super simple. They would steal money from their own people to make themselves wealthy. And so that would make you not like somebody very much as well. So you can imagine why Matthew wasn't very well liked. But it did show that Matthew was probably very wealthy. Which goes to show it's not so strange that we would actually have an account of Jesus' life from Matthew. Because Matthew probably had scribes who worked for him. And scribes knew Aramaic, which was the language they spoke at the time. And scribes also knew Hebrew, which was the language of the ancient uh, Hebrew people, that what the Torah and the books of the law and the prophets were written out of their, their Bible, our Old Testament. But they also knew Greek, which was the language of the surrounding areas, most of the surrounding areas. So they could take what Matthew was telling them about the stories of Jesus, they could translate it in a way that we could eventually understand. And so it's not so strange that we would have a, a, a story about, about Jesus' life from Matthew. And Matthew's going to show us today what Jesus had to say. We're actually going to look at Mark. Mark, who probably got his information from Peter, he tells the exact same story. He just adds a few things at the end that we're going to jump into a little bit later. But here's what they tell us. Some Pharisees and teachers of the law, these were the religious leaders of the time, they came to Jesus from Jerusalem. And the reason that little part's important is because it shows the fact that these religious leaders were willing to go anywhere. And that they would follow Jesus anywhere. And they were constantly going after him. They were trying to catch him at any point that they could. And so Matthew's just letting us know, hey, they came from a, a great distance to come and try and do what they're about to try and do. And they asked him this, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. And this is a big deal. This is actually a really big deal. And I need to explain why for us to know where we're headed today. See, the tradition of the elders was also known in some parts as the oral Torah. And as the Torah is really just the first five books of what is now our Old Testament. And the tradition of the elders was, was this idea that after Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments and then the other laws that God had told him to write down, that these religious leaders, they came up with this oral Torah, this oral idea of the fact that they would know some things that nobody else knew. And these, these laws, these things that were supposedly the laws of God that were forbidden to be written down, seems a little sketchy to me, which meant only a few people actually even knew what the tradition of the elders was. And so they, the, always the religious leaders, would, would bring it out and apply it to the people whenever it was convenient for them, whenever it served their purposes. And sometimes, in fact, most times, it seemed to be in direct and complete contradiction to the written law. Well, when you read the, the Gospels, Jesus just wasn't having it. He didn't have anything to do with it. Jesus did not believe that there was this secondary, kind of mysterious, only a handful of religious leaders actually know what it says kind of Torah. Now, Jesus went for the, the written Torah. You know the one that actually was the words of God <laughs> written down? That's what he went for. But as part of this oral tradition that the, that the leaders, that the religious leaders had, one of their rules was in order to keep yourself ceremonially clean, as a Jew in the first century, any time that you were going to eat anything, you had to go through a washing. You had to go through this washing just to make sure that you didn't accidentally violate one of the dietary laws that, that God had actually given. There actually really were dietary laws that God had given to protect his people. But 
that the ceremonial washing was given by the oral tradition so that you didn't accidentally violate this law of God. Here's the idea. It's like accidentally you're reaching for the cornbread and a, and a short rib falls on your hand. Like that's what, they weren't allowed to eat pork. That's the joke. He's, sorry. They weren't allowed to eat pork. But the problem, the problem with this little accidental thing, this little fake unwritten law is that it made God seem small. It made him seem petty. And Jesus wanted nothing to do with that. And so Jesus says this in talking to the religious leaders, the Pharisees. And why do you break the command of God, the actual written command, the the things that God actually says, for the sake of your own tradition? In other words, you guys just use these traditions to manipulate the people. And in doing so, he goes on, you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites, he calls them out. In other words, instead of doing what's super clear, instead of doing what's already written down, you've come up with some fake rules, some some things that really don't have anything to do with what's written down so that it could serve your purpose, so that you can get away with not doing what you're being told to do. And then he goes on and he quotes the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament to basically make his point. And he uses this quote from Isaiah to make what we're going to discover is a profound, a profound insight that's going to kind of be the the driving force, the direction for our next few weeks. And here's what he said. This is actually God speaking through the prophet Isaiah. He says this, these people, they honor me with their lips. In other words, they've learned all the right things to say, all the right things to do, but their hearts, their hearts are far from me. They're just playing a game. <laughs> They've turned religion into a game, and by the way, a game that they can always win. I don't really need to tell you this, but I will. Religious leaders, uh, religious systems have a tendency of doing just that. It happened back then, and it still happens today. I'm sure you know it. Creating rules to the game. And it just so happens that they can always win the game because they can always do the rules because they wrote the rules and they can use those rules then to manipulate the people. Well, as Jesus is going through this teaching, a crowd gathers because a crowd always gathered when Jesus was about to stick it to the man and he was just about to do that. And so Jesus looks around and he's got the crowd and he points to them and he draws them all in and then this is where I wish I could have been there. I wish I could have been there because he drops a bomb And when we read it, it's not going to feel that way to us, but I'll I'll explain why. He drops a bomb, and then he drops the mic and walks away, right? It was awesome. I I just can imagine being there. And here's what he said. Jesus calls the crowd, and he said, listen and understand. What goes into someone's mouth, accidentally is kind of what he's inferring here, but what goes into someone's mouth does not defile them. And the reason, the reason that would have sounded insane to everybody, his disciples included, is because it sounds as if he's going directly against the law that they've lived their lives by. The law that says that they can't eat certain things. The law that says that if they do eat certain things, that it would defile them. Jesus is saying what would seem to be the exact opposite. In other words, he's saying that this does not put them at odds with God. God is not that small. God is not that petty. 
He, he's not a got you kind of God. He's, he's not a God that will put you in time out for breaking some accidental kind of breach of etiquette, if you will. But Jesus, Jesus says this, but what comes out of the mouth, what comes out of the mouth is actually what defiles them. And then he drops the mic and walks away, right? And his disciples, they're like, oh, yeah, <laughs> he got you. Boom, boom. And then just like in fashion for the disciples, then they're like, but I have no idea what he's talking about. I, I, do you know what he's talking about? Because I don't, I don't know what he's talking about. All they know is that their guy, their guy won, and they're with that guy, so ergo they win too. But that's about all they know. And, and so once they were out of kind of earshot of the Pharisees and, and really the whole crowd because they didn't want to look dumb, they come up to Jesus and Matthew records this, probably him who asked the question, hey, do you know... That the Pharisees are pretty ticked about what you just did. And by the way, should you ever start a comment to Jesus with, did you know? <laughs> no, never mind. That's usually the end of that one, right? And Jesus answers them, and he's so offensive in this comment. Leave them. Just leave them. And he's offensive because they've been their leaders their whole life. Leave them. They're blind. Just walk away. If the blind lead the blind, they'll both fall into a pit. It was a phrase they would have known as an offensive phrase. And then I love Peter. Peter is awesome because he does what we do. He'd be like, hey, Jesus, I know what you meant. <laughs> of course I know what you meant. But Bart, he's kind of dumb. So Peter says, Jesus, will you explain this parable to them and us, I guess, us too, whatever. And then Jesus' response to them. And it, it, it doesn't seem as harsh to us, I, but I think it was harsh, probably said with a, a little bit of jest. Jesus says, are you still so dull? Now, if you haven't been paying attention, just kind of come in with me here. I, I need you to hear this part. In this next statement, in this next part of the conversation, Jesus allows us an awesome opportunity to catch a glimpse to catch a glimpse of what's most valuable to him. And then ultimately, what's most valuable to our Heavenly Father. But before we read that verse, here's a little spoiler alert that I want to share with you. God is not most concerned with how your behavior affects him. Man, I'm telling you, when I wrote that down this week, it, it hit me hard. And it hit me hard because I believe that there are tons of people in this room and watching online who have lived their lives opposite of this. Who have lived their lives believing that the things that they do, their behavior, that's, that's what affects their relationship with God. <coughs> but what we do, our, our behavior is not what he is most concerned about. Now, let me just say something about that. We're, we're going to move on after this. If you're... If you're part of a religious system, uh, a religious system, including Christian, including this body of believers, where someone stands on a stage or a platform like this and they have a microphone like this and say, for you to keep God happy with you, for you to stay in God's good graces, for you to continue to have God's salvation, for you to have God's love, you have to do this or you have to do that, and it all has to do with some sort of formal religious tradition or to-do list, then you should run away. You should run away 
and you should follow Jesus. Because Jesus couldn't have been more clear than he's about to be. He couldn't have been more clear than he's about to be that the Mosaic law, which we're not even a part of anymore, but that was the context of the time that he was speaking. The Mosaic law was not given to keep God happy. It was given for them. The law, the, the things that, that we know we're supposed to do, it's given for us. It's given for you, for your best interest, for your best health, for, for, for your longevity of life, for everything. It's given for you. So Jesus was clear. God is not in the business of keeping himself happy by manipulating and controlling your behavior. So Jesus goes on, and I love this part. This is Jesus' humor, which, by the way, we don't ever read it as Jesus' humor because usually when we're reading the Bible, we turn on some soft music and we light a candle and we dim the lights. But this is Jesus' humor. You've got to imagine, we're talking about 12 men who were on a three-year camping trip. Like, if you don't think there was some humor, especially some bodily function humor, which we're about to hit on, then you don't know 12 guys. Like, I just, you've never been around 12 guys on a camping trip. But here's, here's kind of where we're sitting. Jesus says this. I remember... He's being funny. I think he's being funny. Do you see? Do you see that whatever enters your mouth, it goes into your stomach and then out of your body? Like, I think he's smirking at them. It's a poopy joke, right? <laughs> if you weren't picking up on it. And the disciples are like, yes, Jesus, uh, you know, on a good day, at least twice. I see that. I, it's, it's pretty obvious. But here's the point. Jesus' point is if, if something by chance, accidentally, gets into your body that's out, off limits because there were things that they weren't supposed to eat. But if by chance it happens to accidentally get into your body, it just goes straight through your body. No harm. And then he straightens up. And this is where I think the joke ends. This is where I think he draws them close enough with a little humor that he can kind of hit them with this punch. And he says this, but it is the things that come out of a person's mouth. It is the things that come out of a person's mouth. This is what your heavenly father is most concerned about. What, what comes out of here so much more than what comes in here. Those are the things that defile them. He says, you want, you want to know what puts you at odds with God? It's not accidentally eating the wrong thing. It's not accidentally violating a tradition it's not accidentally doing anything. The thing that puts you at odds with God is when what comes out of your mouth, it's when your actions put you at odds with the people that God loves. What comes out of our mouths can put us at odds with people, which puts us at odds with God. So when you say or when you do anything that hurts the people that God loves, God is concerned about that. That's how you defile yourself, not by offending God, by not living up to some sort of moral code or some modified behavior. But that's not even his main point. That's just kind of a sub point for us. His main point is actually something that I left out of the verse that, that we're going to read next. And he says this, the things that come out of the person's mouth, they come from the heart. They originate from within. These things that originate from inside of us and eventually come out of us, they are the things that put us at odds with God because they ultimately put us at odds 
with people that God loves. You see, the source of your defiling, the, the source of your offensive, hurtful, problematic words and actions, it's from within inside of you. I don't, I don't know how you're going to take that. I, I have no idea. You may be thinking, well, of course, Matt, you're not telling me anything I don't know. Or you might push back on me and say, no, 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 Matt, not everything I say comes from the heart. Sometimes I say things I don't really mean. And Jesus would push back on that a bit. And he'd say, no, sometimes you say things you didn't mean to say out loud in front of them. But you meant them because they came out of you. In fact, my... Earlier this past week, my wife said something. Anyway, I don't have time. I just <laughs> in that moment, in that moment, your behavior modification skills they were weakened. It, it was a it was a crack, and your heart was exposed. It showed. It came out of you because it was already in you. It was already in you, and, and here's how I know this: it's because of. What Matthew records that Jesus said next, he says this, for out of the heart comes evil thoughts, all of them. That murder begins with an evil thought. Adultery, it starts with an evil, awful thought and sexual immorality and theft and false testimony and slander. And then like I said earlier, Mark tells us this exact same story probably from Peter and he adds a few extra things for us to, to keep in mind. He says greed and malice and deceit and envy and arrogance and folly. We don't use the word folly very often anymore, but it really just means poor decision-making. How many times in your life can you attribute a tough situation or a little, a, a little bump in the road of a relationship because of just some poor decision-making? These, these are the things that defile the person, but eating without washing your hands? Come on. One more thing, then we're going to move on to some super specific stuff, but this is very important. Religious rituals and traditions, and they can be very important and meaningful to us. Religious rituals and traditions can have huge meaning for us. They, they can actually help put us in a place where we're ready and prepared to experience God on a deeper level. But you have to hear this. They are not a means by which you keep God happy. They can be important but they are not a means for which you keep God happy with you. Let me say it this way. Missing mass, missing communion or confession, missing Sunday gatherings or missing, getting in late and missing the worship or, or missing a quiet time or skipping a YU or a rooted group or maybe even rooting for the Broncos. These aren't the things. These aren't the things that defile us. It's what come out of us, especially probably while rooting for the Broncos. It's what comes out of us. That's already in us. It's what comes out of us that's already in us that, that defiles us and puts us at odds with God because it puts us at odds with his people. So here's where we're going to go over the next few weeks, just so you have a heads up. We're, we're going to begin to learn to monitor what's inside. We're going to do our best to kind of personalize some of the stuff for us. And we're going to get in the habit of, of saying, you know what? You're not the boss of me. You're not the boss of me. And in fact, that's practice. This is, this is 
fun. You're probably not going to want to play, but here we go. Let's say it together. We're going to say it together on the count of three. Ready? One, two, three. Okay, ready one more time. Ready? One, two, three. <laughs> anger. Anger. You know what? I know it's justified. I know, I know what they did. I know what they did to me. And, but you're not, you're not going to be the boss of me. And envy. I know she said, and I know, I know, she, I know she's always so stinking cute. And I, but, but you're not going to be the boss of me. I know why I'm really not going is because I'm scared. I know why I'm really not doing it is because I'm scared. But fear, fear you're not going to be the boss of me. And how different, how, how different would your life look? How, how different would your relationships be now if you had been taught to monitor what was going on on the inside, what was going on in your heart? I mean, what if your father... What if your father wouldn't have let anger and guilt and shame be the boss and the driver for him? What, what if your mother wouldn't have allowed envy and fear and jealousy to be the boss of her? For those of us with children, imagine if we could actually teach our children to monitor their hearts, not just modify their behavior, because I promise you this, as somebody with other older kids, if all you do is try and monitor and change their behavior, they're just little sneaky punks. They'll work their way around it. They'll figure out a way around it. And if you don't teach them to monitor their heart, all the work to modify their behavior means nothing. And this is a big deal. This is a big deal. Whether, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, if you are a Jesus follower, it is a huge deal because we already have a boss. We already have a better boss than anger. We, we have a better boss than lust, a much better boss than greed and fear and envy. Here's his invitation to you. And this is not just an invitation to followers of Jesus. This is an invitation to all of us. And Matthew records the words of Jesus when he says this. He says, come to me. He says, come to me, all who are tired of letting your emotions take control. <laughs> come to me, all who are sick of letting anger run your life. Come to me, all who are tired of letting fear be the controlling factor in your life. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Jesus says, follow me. Follow me. Let me the, be the boss of you. Let me be the boss of you, and I'll do something for you because I don't need anything from you. And Jesus goes on. He says, take my yoke upon you. My yoke meaning just take my way of living upon you and learn from me. Learn from me, for I am gentle. I'm not like him. I'm not like her. Come to me. I am humble in heart, and you will find rest. But not just any kind of rest. Not, not a nap on Sunday morning kind of rest. Come to me, and I will give you rest on the inside. A rest you can find nowhere else. The way this happens in our lives. The way this happens in our lives is by identifying and beginning to believe that Jesus loves us. <laughs> that he loves you right where you're at. 
And in that moment, confess. Just confess your need for him because of your violation of sin against him. You know it. (laughs) Whatever it is that you're trying to live up to, you know it's never going to be enough. So confess to him, like, God, I know I've fallen short. And declare your trust in him that he is the only one who can give you rest for your soul. And then it's a simple ask. It's an easy ask at that point of Jesus, would you forgive me? Would you forgive me? Be my Savior. And would you lead me from this point forward and be the Lord of my life? And Jesus, ultimately, would you be my boss? Would you pray with me? If you're here with us this morning or you're watching online and you've never done that, you've never asked Jesus to be the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life, you can do that simply by praying a prayer like this. You can repeat after me and just say, Jesus, I know you love me. Jesus, I know you love me. And Jesus, I confess that I've fallen short. I've realized that my need for a Savior. And I trust in you alone. Jesus, would you be the forgiver of my sins and the leader of my life? God, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful for all that you've done. I'm so grateful that you lead us that when we fight against these emotions on the inside, that those of us that have chosen to follow you, we can push those aside and listen to what you have to say to us. Father, would you lead us? Would you be the better boss in our lives? We love you. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.